You guys having fun? Praise the Lord. Shout out to my wife. Hi, babe. <laughs> Hi, Zelly. I love you. I, they, they say they're watching. <laughs> uh, so uh, just really quick, too, um, before I hop into tonight's topic, um, I, w- I love to talk <laughs> with you guys, and I would love to pray with you all, but just we're trying to be extra cautious with baby Zelly, and then I got kind of Got a little bit of a drive to get back to daddy duty. So probably a little bit before benediction, I'll probably kind of slide out here. I just want to let you guys know that. But I, I would love, I'm praying for you guys, giving you guys a big spiritual hug, okay? All right, awesome. So tonight's topic um, is what I title Living Hope. And Julaine graciously invited me last year before COVID. And I was praying, I asked the Lord, like, what does he want to talk about? And he said, hope. And honestly, I didn't have a good grip of what hope was. And then COVID happened, and now we're here a year later, and I think this is a very fitting topic, and Jesus has more abundantly confirmed that this is the topic that he wants to talk about tonight, is hope, a living hope. So more specifically, how to grow in hope by seeing what it is that we hope for, okay, so what it is that we hope for, what God has already done, and how what we hope for in the future is already begun in each of us right now. So the word hope, as we all know, can be used very flimsily in the English language, right? So we hope for success. Tomorrow, I hope, I hope we have a great summer. I hope that it's 80 and sunny all, all summer long. I hope that the Detroit sports teams turn it around. I hope uh, for good health. I hope for all these things, right? And even in Christian ministries, we were like, I hope for success. I hope to bring all these, these people to Jesus. I hope, I hope, I hope. But hope and in all those contexts, is really a wish. And wish is not a virtue. (laughs) And why is it a wish? Because it's uncertain. It's not promised. We don't know. And it might not happen. (laughs) That's wish, right? So, but in the Christian life, hope is not a wish. It's a virtue that is a gift of God. So it's a theological virtue. So it's called that because hope is literally given to you by God as a grace infused into you at baptism through faith. So um, it's rooted in the reality of God's love and his promises that do not fail. But honestly, even saying that, especially like when I was Christian, but didn't understand like the full theology, I didn't understand like what Jesus has done for me. I didn't understand the ecclesiology of the church or like what we were moving towards. I didn't know any of that. Honestly, if someone told me that, like if someone was evangelizing me, for example, and was like, don't you wish for heaven? I'm like, that sounds kind of like we made it up. It sounds like we made it up. Like we're in this world suffering and we just hope for a better thing. <laughs> and even that can seem flimsily if we do not understand what God has already done in history. So, um, and this is the, the whole topic of tonight. What we hope for, rooted in God's love and promises, already begun in each of you right now. So by knowing, contemplating, and proclaiming God's works, what he's already done in the past, we can cultivate this virtue of hope in a, in a stronger, more profound way in our lives. So let's first talk about what do we actually hope for? So I, and I think you all hope for no more sickness, no lies, broken relationships, no sadness, no hunger, no thirst, no pain, no death. And that's actually what is promised. <laughs> that's what we hope for. We hope for perfect harmony with God, humanity, and creation. A far greater perfect unity than it 
even at first at creation as um, in the Garden of Eden. We hope for something even greater than that. And I say all that, but we cannot even fathom what that's like because we're born into a broken world with broken relationships with pain, sickness, hunger, thirst, those things. And we cannot even fathom. It's inconceivable love. And scripture is not afraid of that. And even St. Paul says in a few verses, says 1 Corinthians 2, 9, what eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. Romans 8, 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So St. Paul is telling the churches right here that what we actually hope for, you can't even conceive how good it is. So we can't even, we can't even fathom it. And so scripture tells us that. God tells us that. Like what you're experiencing here in this life, what you actually hope for, what's actually happening in you, you don't even understand. The, you can't even not even fathom it. So, but how can we increase our hope in that unfathomable promise of God? How? I would say it's by remembering what God has already done. And first, if you look through the Old Testament, anytime that the, the Israelites were faced with an impossible challenge, going into battle, going into whatever it was, a lot of times, especially in the Psalms, what they would do, they would, and God himself would actually rem, 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 remind them who he is by what he's done. So they would say, the, all of creation praises him. The heavens and the earth praise him. David talks about all of creation praising him. The temple that they worshiped in, it was supposed to resemble the first Eden, the Garden of Eden. It's all of creation is God's temple. He presides in all of his creation and it all goes back to him. The remembering, like the God that we serve made all this. And now, now we actually know that this universe is 46 billion light years across. So our God is an awesome God, <laughs> a very big God. So they would talk about creation. And then what would he say? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He would re remind them, I'm the God of the promise. I'm the God of promise and fulfillment. Remember who I am, the God of the living, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What else would he say? I am the God who took you out of the land of Egypt. This was after the Exodus. They're having more battles, more division. And what does he go back to? Remember what I did for you? Even generations later, people not actually in the Exodus. Remember what I did for you when I led you and your fathers, your families by the hand and led you out of Egypt and into the desert for freedom. Remember what I've done for you. So in the Old Testament, I think there's good substantial evidence right there that God and all of scripture is like, remember what I've done for you. When you go into an seemingly impossible task, remember what I've done for you already. Know who I am. And so, but what is the ultimate hope? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. St. Paul, in the end, at the end of Acts, when he's in prison, he says that it's for the hope of Israel that I'm in prison, <laughs> that he's being persecuted. He's saying, 
I'm proclaiming Jesus because this is the, he is the hope of Israel. What all of salvation history is leading up to is Jesus. He is the new Adam. He is the new Moses. He is the promise of, of Abraham. He is the new David. He is the high priest of Melchizedek. He is the fulfillment of all the prophets. He is everything. Jesus. <laughs> Even the church, we're the body of Jesus is the hope of Israel. So, um, Jesus is the Messiah, the King of the Jews. He is the glory of Israel and revelation to the Gentiles, Simeon prophesies, for salvation. In Jesus is justice, mercy, peace, unity, healing, and love. You could really say love, because love includes all of those things. Perfect love, right there on the cross. And even in the New Testament, we see hope referred to in the past tense. And I'm going to go through a little more verses later. But in Romans 8.24, St. Paul says, In this hope, we were saved. In Jesus, in this hope of Israel, we were saved. He's talking about when you came to faith, when you were baptized into Jesus, you were saved in this hope of Israel. What? everybody longed for in the Old Testament and the Old Covenants was Jesus. What they longed for is Jesus. And now we get him <laughs> out of grace. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So we need to remember what God has done. So what has God done? Well, I think, especially in our circumstance that we find ourselves in in the world today, we first need to identify what the issue is. What's the real problem? Remember, Israel had all these seemingly impossible circumstances, challenges, whatever it might be. What do we have in our world that is the impossible challenge? And I would say the impossible challenge or circumstance that we, uh, all of humanity since the time of the fall, every single person has faced, that we all experience, and has been on full display this whole past year. What is it? evil, brokenness, which culminates in death. Every single person dies. There, that is the main universal issue that is impossible for humans to resolve. And the whole world wants to offer you a way to live a better life, but to, of, like, they don't acknowledge death. Right? That's what I was being offered in college. That's what I was being offered throughout my life, was to live life to the fullest, YOLO, you only live once, right? Like, because humans have zero answer. We do not have a single answer for the most basic issue that we all face every single day, which is evil, brokenness, and death. And so the world is gripped over it, right? Everyone's in fear. <laughs> but these are actually all things contrary to God's plan. Um, I think a lot of people need to know this. Wisdom 113 says this, because death, is, death, which is the culmination of sin, who started that from Satan, who is the father of lies, uh, that is all contrary to God's plan and his heart for us. And Wisdom 113 says, God did not create death. Can you guys just say that with me? God did not create death. And it goes on to say, he does not delight in the death of the living. So no, when someone dies, that was not his, intention, his, his original plan. He does not delight in the, in the 
um, the death of the living. Now, he does uh, delight in the death of his saints because those are people who are, in love with Je- who are in love with him and die for him out of love, not out of fear. That's perfect love, Jesus Christ dying for us, right? Beautiful in the eyes are the death of his loved ones, but death of the living, death was not created by God. So it's not in the heart of God, it's contrary to him. In fact, he hates it so much that this is the very reason he sent Jesus, to do the humanly impossible, to destroy, and I mean that seriously, to destroy Satan, sin, and death. What I can't solve, what you guys can't solve, what the whole human race has been trying to solve, God has done it, destroyed everything, every single thing that we fear. That's the whole gospel. Jesus bound Satan, the strong man, who is the father of all lies, who's been telling us lies since Adam and Eve believed in them. And transferred, Jesus has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. He gives us power by his grace to be dead to sin and the inordinate desires of the flesh. And he has made a mockery of death. He has literally gone to war with Satan face to face and made a mockery of him. In Hebrews 2, 14 to 15, it sums it up very beautifully. Since therefore the children, us, share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same nature that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. Through fear of death and lifelong bondage. One's entire life is in fear of that day of death. And that's what Hebrews is acknowledging. We've been in a lifelong bondage of fear of death. But now, in Jesus, death has been destroyed. St. Paul mocks it. It has no sting. (laughs) Now, what once was a fear has been cast out by perfect love. First John, it says, perfect love casts out fear. Can you guys just say that with me? Perfect love casts out fear. Because of this love that defeated death, we do not need to be afraid. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 14, it says, St. Paul says this to the Thessalonians, do not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Notice that St. Paul didn't say, don't grieve. He didn't tell you not to grieve because Jesus and, and the shortest verse of the entire Bible, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. And that was because of the death of his friend Lazarus, who he knew he was going to raise from the dead because God did not create it. It's contrary to his heart. It's contrary to his purpose. So what is St. What is Paul saying? We grieve We grieve, but we grieve with a profound hope. And actually at the end of this letter, he says, comfort the community, comfort those with these words that Jesus has destroyed death so you do not have to fear it. So our hope isn't as if we forget or dismiss the reality of brokenness and death because that's actually denial. And denial is always rooted in hopelessness. It didn't happen. I don't do that. I'm not that way. That's actually hopelessness because I can't change or whatever it is. No. We acknowledge all three of them, evil, brokenness, and death. 
This is one of the reasons why, as Catholics, we have crucifix. One of the very, very many reasons we have a crucifix and not a cross, because the cross without Jesus is a burden unsolved by human with no savior. It shows in the crucifix. The cross resembles total darkness, depravity of humanity, the fear of lifelong bondage to death, and what is it being defeated by? The perfect love of God, Jesus poured out. Jesus went to war, went face to face with our worst enemy. He didn't dismiss it. He went through it. And he calls us to participate in his life. So he destroyed the worst enemy and the worst tyrant of the whole human race out of love for you. So we've talked about what we long for in heaven, and we just talked about what Christ has done. But here's the crux of my whole talk tonight, is what Christ has done in the past and what we will have in heaven in the future is what we are actually participating in here, here and now, in the present, in the present. St. Catherine of Siena said, all the way to heaven is heaven because Jesus said, I am the way. In other words, she's saying, the same one who alone is the fulfillment of all our desires, who we will have full communion with in heaven, is the exact same one who lives and abides in us in order to get to heaven right now. His life in us right now. So we participate in this hope right now. How? And I would, I would recommend, and I would say, two ways. That's what my talk says. <laughs> There's two ways. The sacraments and our identity in Jesus. The sacraments, particularly marriage, holy orders, baptism, and the Eucharist. Marriage, why? Because in Revelation, at the end of time, it's the wedding feast of Christ and the bride, his church. In Ephesians 5, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. So, and it says, this is a great mystery in reference to Christ and the church. So literally, mine and Napoli's marriage, You're, you guys who are married, your marriage resembles the love of Jesus to the bride at the end of time in heaven. Can you guys, just, if you guys are with your spouse right now online or whatever, just turn, just turn them and say, thank you for reminding me of my hope. And just give them a big old hug. Thank you for reminding me of my hope, Napoli. <laughs> Holy orders. Jesus says in Matthew 19, priests, uh, they forego marriage for the sake of the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God at the end of time, there's no giving person to and from in marriage. There's only one marriage, the eternal heavenly banquet of God and his church, the bride. Can we just turn to any priest or religious right now and say, thank you for reminding me of my hope. Thank you for reminding me of my hope. Every single time we see a married couple, we should think that's the image of Jesus' love for the church at the end. Every single time I see Father Chris, every single, Deacon, what's your name, brother? <laughs> gotcha. We, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, praise God. Uh, so, um, what, when we see them, they're supposed to remind us, like, of the, he went, he forewent marriage so that he can remind us that there's only one marriage Jesus in the church. Baptism. At the end, um, Christ is, his kingdom is fully established. But in John 3, he says, you must be reborn of water and the spirit in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. So Romans 6, St. Paul says, we're baptized into Jesus' death in the present and we will rise with Christ in the future. Romans 8, it says, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us 
So what is he pointing to? Baptism points to the resurrection. Um, it really is the spirit that gives life. Just a really quick testimony that's not in my notes right now. So Zelly Marie, my daughter, she got baptized, praise you Jesus, on the first Saturday of May, May 1st. So it was the first Saturday in the month of Mary, and we obviously, Mama Mary, we love you. And we have really been feeling St. Joseph bring us into his, into his love and like inviting us to walk with the Holy Family. And uh, so on May 1st, on the day of St. Joseph the Worker, the first Saturday of May, she got baptized and it ended up actually having to be moved. Yes, where? St. Joseph's Adoration Chapel in a Chaldean church. My wife is Chaldean, Catholic. And uh, so it really is the spirit that gives life. The next day, that was on a Saturday, the next day, her first time being at mass after baptism, sleeping quiet. The only noise that she made after the consecration. When I was speaking, when I was reading scripture, Napoli was like, read it out loud. Read it out loud. She's zoned in. I'm walking her around the, the kitchen. She's staring at the crucifix for two minutes straight. Deadlocked on Jesus. She She has her eyes uh, closed in, early in the morning. I'm sleeping. Dad's sleeping. Mom's awake. <laughs> and she's holding Zelly. Zelly looks like she's got a sad face on. She's like, just had like a bad dream. Napoli says a Hail Mary. That frown turns into a smile. It really is the spirit that gives life in baptism. <laughs> Praise you, Jesus. And then lastly, the Eucharist. In Revelation, we see Christ's glorified humanity and the wedding feast of the Lamb. John 6, Jesus even says, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood, I will raise on the last day. He's saying, what you are doing, how you abide in me through the Eucharist right now is pointing to heaven. And this is why St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 says, a participation in the body and blood of Christ but Jesus' body and blood is in heaven, glorified. But that's what we receive in the Eucharist. He gives us his glorified, poured out love, his body and blood. It's a participation in his body and blood that is in heaven that we await for. 1 Corinthians 11, St. Paul says, if we don't examine ourselves and just receive the Eucharist unworthily, we eat and drink in judgment upon ourselves. What do you guys think about when you think of judgment? The end of time, the end of our time, judgment. St. Paul says, you can be judged right now. And this is why at Mass, at, right after the consecration, we repeat the words of St. Paul that we eat this bread and drink this cup until he comes again. And how about the Our Father? When the priest says, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, at the end of the Our Father. Because in the Eucharist, it is the bridegroom to the church marriage. It is his life being poured out for us right now. What we long for in heaven, we're participating every single time we go to Mass. This is why it's the, the source and summit of the Christian life. Because the one who we long for is the one who gives himself to us at every single Mass. Whoo-wee! Can you guys believe that? <laughs> okay, so those are the sacraments. And then the last thing I want to talk about is identity. Identity. What Christ is by nature, we all are by grace. What Christ is by nature, we are by grace. So what do we see in, in Scripture in heaven? Uh, Romans 8, 19. St. Paul even talks about how the creation longs for the revealing of the children of God. And he goes on to talk about the resurrection of the body. So he even refers to the children of God being revealed is heaven. 
the father pouring out his love to his children. And yet, he says, you're a child of God right now. Can we say that together? I am a child of God. We long to be where Christ is in heaven, right? At the end of Revelation. This is where I'm going for the rest of this talk. End of Revelation. Jesus is there. We, that's who we long for. And yet Ephesians 2.6 says, you are seated right now in heavenly places. I am seated in heavenly places. Can you say that with me? I am seated in heavenly places. In Revelation 21.22, it's the heavenly temple and the throne of Christ coming down. So 21 Chapters 20 through 22 is the end of time when it's the consummation of Jesus in the church. So that's what this whole thing is. But 21 to 22, uh, yep, 21, 22, it says it's the heavenly temple and throne of Christ. And yet 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit right now. <laughs> I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. Say that with me. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. In Revelation 22.5, it says that there will be no more darkness and nobody will need a lamp because God himself will be the light. And yet Jesus himself says in Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. Can you say that with me? I am the light of the world. Revelation 21.1, it says we await a new heavens and a new earth. And yet in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, in Christ, you are a new creation. I am a new creation. Can you say that with me? I am a new creation. Revelation 21.4, it says that we await the time of no more pain, no more death. And yet St. Paul is adamant that you are dead to sin, that you have no fear of death because you are alive in Christ Jesus right now and death has no hold on you. Christ lives in me. Can you say that with me? Christ lives in me. Death has no hold on me. Death has no hold on me. I shall not fear. I shall not fear. Because God poured out his perfect love into me. In this month of Mary, we celebrated Mother's Day this month too. What do we say in the rosary at the end? Mary is our hope. We don't say that because she's the source of our hope. We say that because she is Jesus Christ's greatest work. What Christ did in her he wants to do in each of you. And it's Jesus' promise on full display. And what God has accomplished is on full display in Mary. This truth of our faith, it wasn't a dogma just up out of nowhere. It's a divine, divinely revealed truth. It wasn't more so of like when I became Catholic, okay, yeah, I can see, I see it in scripture, I see it in tradition, I see it, and it's taught by the church that Jesus founded. But why, do I, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Because a world with no hope right now, when you look at Mary, that's hope. That's Jesus's work. That's Jesus's promise. What Jesus did in his mother and ours, he wants to do in you.
He longs to do that in you. And so when we hold up Mary, we're holding up Jesus and his work because it's Christ and Mary. Mary's not by herself. It's Christ and Mary. And she is the fulfillment of this, the reality. It's already happened. If it was just Jesus in heaven, which would be amazing, we'd still be like, well, that's God. I still don't know if he's gonna do that for me. With Mary, it's like, no, he's already done it. He's already done it. And he wants to do that in us. So this is why I brought today uh, a necklace. I hand these out. It's from St. Paul Street Evangelization. It's a crucifix, and it is the miraculous medal. And I also printed off, um, it's in the back there, and there's plenty. So if you didn't grab one on the way in, you can grab one on the way out. People online, maybe I'll send a picture or something on Facebook. <laughs> but, uh, but it's a handout to do a daily meditation on the crucifix and on the miraculous medal. And there's some declarations of what we just said. They're at the bottom of this sheet. You can say this every single day. I, I highly encourage you to do it every single day, at least for the month of May. And if it's, if it's like, wow, I want that, please do it every day. But when we feel hopeless, this is what we do. We reflect, remember, proclaim God's work, what he's already done, his love for you, his work in you through the sacraments and in your, in your identity. And I cannot tell you guys, one of the greatest ways to intimacy with Jesus, and you'll hear this from all the saints too, but I've really been, this past year is like, wow, is just meditation on his passion. Meditation on the crucifix. God's greatest love defeated your greatest fear. And uh, I really feel, praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this gift. I really feel not only convicted a, a year ago when he gave me this topic and again now, but today when I woke up, there's a few things I do in the morning. And one of them is read a St. Augustine um, uh, reflection, a day-to-day -day reflection. And this is what St. Augustine said today. <laughs> Did not Peter deny Christ out of fear of being put to death? By his resurrection, Christ took away that fear of death and because he had taken away fear of death, he asked, as was proper, if Peter loved him. Fear had denied Christ three times. Three times love confessed him. A threefold negation, the desertion or truth. A threefold confession, the witness of love. Love defeats all of our fears. And then the second thing that we do after, you know, the crucifix is we gaze at Christ's greatest work in Mary. Greatest work in Mary. We contemplate Christ's greatest work in Mary. What's already fulfilled in Mary is what Christ wants to promise, what he promises each of us and what he wants to do. And again, I pop up today. We're celebrating St. Bernardine of Siena's feast day today. I get an email, and this is what a quote from him said. Let Mary never be far from your lips and from your heart. Following her, you will never lose your way. Praying to her, you will never sink into despair. Contemplating her, you will never go wrong. <laughs> so I really do feel like Jesus has spoken here tonight. Um, and I'm just going to end on these last three verses of Scripture. In each of these three Scripture verses, you're going to hear about hope right in the midst of suffering because what God has done or is doing right now in each of us. 
Romans 5, 3 through 5, St. Paul says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Past tense. Talking about hope in the midst of suffering, in the midst of suffering, and it doesn't disappoint because past tense, God's love has already been poured onto you. Romans eight twenty four, right before this verse, Saint Paul is again talking about the sufferings is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us and all of creation. And this is how he culminates that whole section. He says, in this hope, we were saved, past tense. So again, he's talking about suffering, glory, hope, right now, being saved, past tense. Colossians 1, 24 through 27, last one. St. Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Why does he say that? Only a Christian can say they rejoice in suffering. Why? Because suffering in this life is being so closely united in faith to the one who was crucified for us. It's Jesus' life being renewed in us. Christ wants to do what he did on the cross. He wants to do that in each of us. So we can rejoice. And it's not for any, it's not for no purpose. It's for the salvation. It's for the church. It's for our loved ones. It's for anybody who's ever heard us. We get to rejoice in our sufferings. And he goes on to say this last part. <clears throat> God chose to make known how great are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So who we hope for, who our hearts long for in heaven, Jesus, is the same one who is in you right now, the hope of glory. Amen. Thank you all. Love you.